Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics, right here on Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mount Olympus. I am Hercules Invictus. In Greek mythology, the Peloponnesian region of Arcadia represented the unspoiled wilderness and nature's untamed splendor. This association has been reinforced since antiquity. It was strengthened through centuries of Western art and literature and persists well into the present as our ideal of a pristine terrestrial paradise. Arcadia was dedicated to the Olympian Artemis and teemed with wildlife. It was also home to all manner of nature spirits, demi-humans, and fabulous beasts. The actual Arcadia has long since been subdued by climatic changes and organized human endeavors. Though it still contains pockets of wilderness, it currently boasts a busy motorway, a coal mine, a thermoelectric power station, and miles of potato farms. In honor of the Arcadian ideal, the paradise that was lost to us, the Arcadia Project, as an Age of Heroes initiative, will focus on preserving our planet's natural beauty and rich biodiversity in places where it still exists. This podcast and its campsites on social media will chronicle our adventures and unfolds, the dedicated people I meet, the worthwhile endeavors I discover, the diverse initiatives I launch or lend my energies toward attaining. Tonight, we return to our conversation with Julie O'Connor, who is an activist extraordinaire, and uh, she is our champion of Arcadia uh, for the year 2020. Greetings and welcome, Julie. How are you? I'm well, Hercules. Thank you. Can you hear me okay? Uh, yes, I can. I'll adjust the sound, and this way we can hear each other better. Could I be heard Okay. Oh, yeah, your you sounds great. I just wanted to make sure. I'm outdoors, so uh, in the nature, so I just want to make sure that good. you can hear me well. Yes, you can be heard well. Um, a lot is going on, and uh, we started uh, planning tonight with one topic, but then uh, um, uh, an emergency uh, came up and a call to action. Uh, so you're welcome to talk about both, uh, one of them or either. Uh, it's your choice. Absolutely. Let's start with the matter at hand for your live listeners. Um, we have in, in Bergen County, New Jersey, one community, one town council and mayor that allows deer hunting out of all the towns in our county. And it is really such a shame and blight on our county of cruelty and mm-hmm. the community is very against it, and that's Saddle River, New Jersey. And we want people to come up to 
a, a protest tomorrow being the first day of that hunt. Um, it's 10 a.m. tomorrow. And actually, if you have the details in front of you, um, we can tell them exactly the address. I'm not sure if you do, but um, I, I can get them. 10 a.m. Great. Great. So as soon as you pull them up, just feel free to jump in. But it's Saturday, September 12th at 10 a.m. A short protest to allow the community to know that we're supporting them in their fight against this. Uh, and there have been on these, uh, you know, meetings about it, just so many people coming and talking against it, so many residents. And um, because they know that not only is it cruel and inhumane, but it also does not work. We're here we are in the third. They want to enter into the third year of this uh, because they uh, want to have the deer hunt in their community. Uh, we don't know what the motivation is because, you know, they have rejected so many lawn lethal solutions. Uh, and when I mean that in Saddle River, they even had a resident who is a veterinarian who lived in the community, who lives in the community rather, offer to um, go and sterilize uh, the deer, you know, give, spay and neuter the deer to, to control the population, mm-hmm. offering funding and um you know, these are rejected plans. So, I mean, that's not entirely at the fault of the of the town council there because there that was the state and their corruption uh, rejecting the plan. Uh, but, but also the town council certainly didn't work with um, advocates and animal lovers and people who didn't want hunting in their community, you know, to post um, signs for speeding or helping with any uh, any other concerns. But basically, uh, things that we've discussed in the past um, have to do with, you know, changing human behavior right. and learning to live with animals, non-human animals. And we're all animals, but live with non-human animals. So um, it just was the type of thing where it's just such a shame that Saddle River would um, you know embark on this? So t- 10 a.m. on uh, September 12th is a is a demonstration, socially distanced demonstration, uh, in their downtown area to bring attention. We have media coming, so we're hoping for a decent turnout. Um, do you have the address, yes, Danny? I have it right here. And uh, would you like me to read it? Uh, yes, sir. Please. Okay, this is from the Animal Protection League of New Jersey, uh, and it's titled Stop the State-Sanctioned Killing of Our Wildlife. Saddle River, Stop the Deer Hunt Protest Demonstration. Please share. Saturday, September 12, 2020, 10 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. Location, Saddle River Borough Hall, 100 East Allendale Road, Saddle River, New Jersey, 07458. Uh, we will be social distancing, lining the street between the borough hall and police station. 
In order to get our officials and the public's attention, we need support. Please share with residents and non-residents. Please wear a mask and practice social distancing. Please bring a sign demanding a stop to backyard bow hunting. Uh, I'm sad to hear this is still uh, an issue. Below are some suggestions for sign statements. Stop backyard hunting. Keep hunting out of our backyards. Say no to recreational hunting in our suburbs. Stop the blatant abuse of governmental powers. Stop wasting taxpayer dollars and resources. Recreational hunting does not belong in our town. Saddle River officials are ignoring science and data. Mayor and council, stop misleading the people of Saddle River. Mayor and council, let your constituents be heard. Allow the Environmental Commission to do its job. Bow hunting hurts our town's image and property values. Hunters do not belong in backyards. This is not a wildlife management plan. It is a support of hunting. We demand representation and transparency. The data is in. Saddle River Hunt increased car deer collisions in our town. Keep the pro-hunting agenda out of Saddle River. Our town is not your game preserve. Wow. I, th- I thought the, the bow hunting was a dead issue. I thought that had been resolved. I, and I'm shocked uh, to discover that uh, that's still an issue. Well, actually, Hercules, it, um, it's one of the only types of hunting that you find in communities uh, that, you know, that get opened up because for, I think in part it's because the hunters and the division of fish and wildlife that advocates for them. I think it's because they don't want the people in the town who let's say weren't reading the paper and they're not quite aware. Uh, I, I, they don't want them to hear that there's hunting. See, bow hunting is silent, right? Gunshots are not silent. But I think that that's part of their whole, um, uh, I guess, PR campaign, <laughs> for lack of a, I mean, uh, uh, you know, like a, a sneaky workaround. Uh, and uh, so then people might be none the wiser. And let me just tell you something about the property values. You know, if you Google Seattle River, that's one of the top things that's going to come up now is the fact that they allow deer hunting in the community. And, you know, while you were so shocked to read it and recognize what's happening, you know, even if you cared only about money, you have to understand, like, this is a very bad idea for, for you know, um, your home resale value and things like that, because it would not make me want to go to that community. Right. Um, you know, when I, I feel unsafe. When I lived in Pennsylvania for about a decade before we moved back to uh, New Jersey, and we lived in uh, northwestern New Jersey and now northeastern New Jersey, um, in Pennsylvania, people used to hunt to eat. Uh, you know, if you lived in the mountains, uh, you know, they, they hunted to eat and they didn't uh, hunt uh, wastefully. You know, they respected the animals. Uh, um, and, uh, um, you know, uh, here I can't see anybody in the parts of Jersey, uh, like in northwestern New Jersey, where they killed uh, Paddles the Bear, who we knew, by the way. Um, nobody there needs to eat the food. You know, there's no reason for them to be uh, hunting animals. 
Um, and I can't well, imagine um, anybody in Saddle River needing to eat deer. Or... Totally right. I think you remember that the last time on your show with Doreen uh, Frega, who does all of the outreach for Animal Protection League in New Jersey, we discussed about uh, the United Bow Hunters of New Jersey, and that's the group behind um, so much of this, um, you know, um, so much of these efforts. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's it's really uh, you have to always like follow the money and why you know they don't have an interest in that community or in solving any sort of so-called problem. They just want to open up the uh, opportunities for them to hunt. You know, and um, it, it, and opportunities for them to hunt that's closer for them so that they don't have to drive far. That's all they care about. So we have to, you know, be be aware uh, that whatever line they throw at you about how they're going to come in and, uh, you know, improve your situation, all they're going to do is, is leave very divided communities with with a lot of pain and suffering that people might be exposed to. And right. um, I, you know, and, and I believe that you, I'm not sure if it was you or maybe um, somebody else who was in meetings with us talking about how they had one time been at a pool and seen uh, an animal, a deer with an arrow in it. And they were traumatized. Yeah, yeah. I think that was Cynthia who had shared that. Um, And I was in the room with you. And just, you know, the little children, you know, live in the town. And and what if they see something horrific, you know? Because bow hunting, the whole thing is it's usually not a direct shot kill situation, whatever people are envisioning, it's designed to leave the blood trail, but then you follow the blood trail and then find the dying animal and then kill him or her. So, I mean, this is the brutality of bow hunting. So, um, you know, the fact that it's in Saddle River, like the reaction you had, your surprise in it all uh, is kind of... uh, why we need to show support tomorrow. Keep sending those emails, you know, to the mayor and council. And uh, I, I hope we get some some more people who join for a little bit of time. I shared it uh, while we were talking. I shared it back on my timeline. There's uh, almost 5,000 people uh, there. And I put it in the mayor's wellness campaign uh, group. Oh, excellent, excellent. So reach people there as well. Unfortunately, Athena and I can't uh, come tomorrow, uh, so I'll help spread the word around. Uh, I'll repeat it by uh, promoting today's uh, podcast um, and uh, linking to the Animal Protection League of uh, New Jersey. Um, And, and of course, afterwards we'll get uh, follow-up. This is a month where we have uh, a fifth week on a Wednesday, so we have a second uh, 
um, Arcadia project uh, show this month. So I'm looking forward to that and uh, we can give updates on what happened. And I will certainly, if you think it'll help, rewrite what I sent to the mayor and their council in Saddle River and send it again uh, to express, uh, you know, that I'm, I'm not in agreement with this. No, you know, thank you for using your voice and continuing to, you know, I think that's one of my big refrains when I go on your show is you know, the activism is important uh, to continue with. We get some um, defeats, certainly, uh, but you pick yourself up and, uh, you know, dust yourself off and fight again because any year we're able to stop it and any year we can prevent it from being expanded. That's a year that we can save deer. So, you know, and thank you for, for saying that. Oh, it's, it's my pleasure. I wish I could do more. Um, and uh, we spoke uh, last time and uh, one of the earlier times as well that uh, these efforts take uh, time and you shared how long it took you to get uh uh, furs out of department stores, you know, major department stores that it took a long time. It took decades, uh, but you persisted and then it finally came to be. So uh, this is not a battle that we're going to win in a day, a week, a year. This is something that needs our continuous attention and continual uh, vigilance uh, until something positive happens and raising awareness uh, during all that time. And uh, as we've been doing, uh, pointing to uh, solutions that actually solve the problem rather than you know, put a Band-Aid on it and perpetuate it. Uh, so everyone who feels that they can't do anything about this, you're wrong. There's a lot you can do. <laughs> just uh, do what you can, even if it seems like a little, and just keep doing it until change uh, comes, and it will come. You know, um, that's an excellent segue for the other thing that the other topic we were going to cover, actually, because um, I I'll just I'll just say and then we can definitely put a coda on on whatever we're discussing about deer and any other wildlife issues in, in our area. But I do think it's an excellent segue because what I wanted to discuss on today's show was something called humane education. And humane education uh, is, in a synopsis, character education that includes teaching about kindness to animals. So pro-social education, like uh, empathy, citizenship, respect, any of those words you might have come across in school, but including mm-hmm. uh, being kind to non-human animals, caring about the environment, uh, th- that is included in humane education. So um, I went for my PhD studying this phenomenon because I have a PhD in education and it was including um, kind of, I'll talk about my study in a moment, but okay. because it, it really motivates children more than other types of curricula enhancement. But the reason I thought it was an excellent segue from what you talked about 
was you actually talked about how long-term fights are, right? You were saying Mm -hmm. that you don't win right away. You put in the work. You put in the years and years of work. You're planting seeds. And in my case with the fur protesting, all the kids who would have seen me at a fur protest, say fur messaging, when they grow up to become consumers buying age, they go and have an aversion to to buying fur. Then it makes it less solvent financially. And then it makes it less desirable for a store to carry. But mm-hmm. what did that take? That took a shift in culture and that took time, right? So yes. it was planting seeds and it was relentless advocacy and education. So humane education, as I'll explain in a bit, is this idea that you infuse uh, empathetic, compassionate messages that include non-human animals in lessons, in stories, in math problems, in science lessons, social studies units and you take that and and if you do that you will make a more empathetic positive society over time so um, now the, the benefit to this that I had in my study was that children have a natural interest in non-human animals. And mm-hmm. many times that gets um, diminished by culture, diminished yes. by other members of society, right? So there's a mm-hmm. natural interest and, a, and a, a natural caring for the non-human animal that then is stripped away with that kind of toughen up attitude. I'm going to remove you from the natural world and I'm going to make you not feel connected and part of, of the animal kingdom, right? Is as we do, because we say, well, now you're going to eat this animal. Or now you're going to wear this animal. Or now you're going to go to see entertainment where, you know, you like the animal, but that particular animal in that entertainment setting is not being treated well. But, you know, but it doesn't matter because he's there for you, right? So Mm -hmm. we, we take all these messages and we kind of like dull what would be a natural you know, attraction that younger people have toward non-human animals. So humane education is actually what I found in my research, motivated and engaged children in their lessons in ways that any other, um, any other like type of, Uh, hook, if you will, any other type of, you know, lesson enhancement, it it engaged both the boys and the girls, different ages, different regions where where they lived. The animals had the motivational power 
And it doesn't even have to be a physical animal in the classroom. It was that they are motivated to read stories and learn, like I said, math problems that have these pro-animal messages in them. And I think children are ripe for um, kind of a counter-message that is much more in line with where they naturally are at versus, um, you know, what we kind of try to remove from from children's natural affinity toward non-human animals. And, you know, I'll explore it more, but I want to sure. pause now just so I, like, see if you have any questions about what is humane education and and any of that. Did you have any uh, questions um, that are occurring to you? I'm impressed that there that something like this exists, and uh, um, you're right. We're very much uh, um, not in tune with the world of nature around us, um, and even with uh, adults, uh, uh, there's a disconnect because we get food in a supermarket, so uh, it's uh, hard to remember or realize that uh, the food that we're buying was once part of a living being. And uh, anybody who has or has had a pet uh, or who is taking care of animals can tell you that animals have personalities, that uh, if such a thing as a soul exists, then animals definitely have uh, souls, you know, and, and they're uh, not machines as they cart plane, but they're, they're living intelligences. They're uh, beings uh, um, as we are. They don't have opposable thumbs and they haven't built a civilization, but they're still living uh, beings with their own individuality. So I think it's great that uh, um, this uh, branch of education exists and uh, um, I can understand why you would embrace it and uh, uh, and seek to make change uh, through it because uh, you've dedicated your entire life to this. So uh, it, it's awesome that you're doing this as well. Thank you. Well, this is actually the culmination of the work in the sense of I knew that I can only do so much when I am advocating with adults, right? And I can get a lot mm-hmm. done. But when I reach children, then they're going to be people who I actually uh, have an opportunity um, an opportunity to um, mold, in it, you know, because uh, they're more open to the messages. And I think mm-hmm. it's, you know, in line with where their heart is at at the time. Um, now, I'll, I'll proceed and tell you some other interesting things. Um, there are programs... So the, like these type of curricula enhancements can be things where the teacher decorates the room in a very, you know, animal positive way. So I wanted to tell you about some cool, uh, you know, groups. Uh, okay. There's a group called, yeah, there, there's a group called Show Your Soft Side, showyoursoftside.com, I, I think it is. Uh, but you, you're by the website, so you'll be able to look it up, right? And um, yeah. so what they what they do is they work with sports uh, uh, 
sports celebrities as well as some Hollywood celebrities and have them pose with uh, their own animals. And uh, basically the whole campaign is like only a punk would hurt a dog or only a punk, a punk would hurt a cat. And, and their whole thing is, and I have the posters in my classroom and around the school, and it's all about teaching children that you don't harm animals, you respect them. And sometimes seeing their favorite um, sports, very large sports, you know, celebrity physically intimidating, being kind to an animal, that can have influence. It's called Show mm-hmm. Your Soft Side. And that that's a really cool campaign because we put the the posters up around the building and they send them out to different districts. Um, then you have like visitors from organizations like Farm Sanctuary, which is a large farm animal rescue group up in New York, uh, where they'll send humane educators out to the classrooms when they're invited uh, to to visit, to just talk about, uh, you know, farm animals in the United States and have empathy building exercises. It opens the minds of the children, but it it also engages the children in a way that, um, you know, I've never seen other things engage them. So like just very cool stuff that I've come across. So my so my interest was was this. I figured, well, let me just back up a second. There's a okay. group called the Humane Education Coalition, and they were doing exactly what, like, you were, like, intrigued by, that this even existed, right? They were mm-hmm. trying to make themselves, like, a one-stop shopping for every organization that uh, – was covering this and you're talking there's international groups and they just were a, a coalition where they have a partners page where you could just see how many groups, how many even local humane societies have program packets, lesson plans, uh, visiting educators. There's so much out there. We just need to really um, promote yeah, that was called the Humane Education Coalition. Okay, and, yeah, so I was going to ask you because I missed it. Okay, uh, Humane Education Coalition? Yeah, they're great. And they've uh, partnered with uh, a, an organization called the Academy, the Academy of Pro Social Learning. They've, instead of antisocial, the Academy of Pro Social Learning. And what they do is they actually certify teachers who want to become humane educators. This is like your regular teacher, um, like me, uh, but that you can learn about all of the ways that you can take a lesson uh, and add empathy and compassion uh activities to any lesson. So it's not an add-on to your curriculum day. It's it enhances it and it really makes it as as I found out in my research makes it more motivating. And what I really want to be clear to any listener is humane education is not about preaching. So you might have said, "Oh god, you know, if you have farm sanctuary come to your classroom 
or you use a lesson plan uh, that's provided by an organization, all of the things that you present, they're going to be facts. And then what you're going to do is you can present both sides to any argument. The Mm -hmm. people have to at least be exposed to some truths. And then they, and it's of course age appropriate, but then they can be able to come to their own conclusion. Right. So I think that's an important element of education an element that sometimes we forget because it's so much of this spoon feeding what the test, what will be on the state exam rather than in fact, where, why do you feel, why do you hold the opinion you have opinion, um, you know, and, and make you a more educated citizen. So I, I'm always so excited about humane education because I just I see so many amazing people doing work across the world, and I'm literally I I learn more any time that I explore it. Uh, I'm working on some more research, which I'll talk about in a minute, which is really okay. exciting to me. But, and before um, you move on, I just want to, I missed one of the resources. What I have so far is I have Show Your Soft Side, a link, at, a link to Farm Sanctuary, and a link to the Humane Education Coalition. You've listed a fourth resource. Like the, yes, uh, uh, the, Academy, the Academy for Pro-Social Learning. The Academy for Pro-Social Learning. Or okay. is it called Pro-Social Learning Academy? I think it's Academy Pro-Social Learning. Let me know if you find that. I type with one finger, so it's kind of slow. Huh? <laughs> oh, no, take your time. But I'll, I'll talk while you're looking. Pro-Social Learning Humane Education Training. I got it. You got it. And that look, what they do is they'll actually certify teachers to become humane educators, which is wonderful extension learning professional development requirements that teachers have to do. This is a great thing to do. And, you know, math teachers, science teachers, social studies teachers, not just language arts, not just reading and writing about animals, uh, and, and of course, any uh, other population that gets victimized. Um, this, humane education, looking at the world compassionately, can be integrated in all subjects. Yes. Um, and that's really important. And that was a big part of my research is I interviewed eight teachers who used humane education. They were a cross section of subjects, areas of the of the country, whether it was urban, suburban and rural. And I and they were veteran teachers, new teachers, they taught different gender, children, uh, affluent, poor, didn't matter. In their interviews, they told me that they found children were so motivated by this. So then what I realized was as a very veteran teacher, I've been doing this for 22 years. I currently teach wow. English as a second language. And I was a sixth grade teacher, a third grade teacher, a social studies teacher. I taught in New York City and now I teach in New Jersey. 
And I've also done supervision of education as well. And I teach on the college level for um, uh, people who are going to be certified as teachers for graduate mm-hmm. level. So I've done a lot of a lot of education work. And it sounds like it, yes. What, yeah, yeah. Well, I I realized that you can talk till you're blue in the face about something that you know is like good for kids, right? Mm-hmm. Good for them. But unless you can prove that there is a benefit to their test scores being improved, then the decision makers are not going to be really all that interested. And that's because of the pressure on quantitatively that children are improving their test scores. And it is a very lousy situation for children and for the schools themselves because all the things you remember as a child that you really enjoyed in school was uh-huh. probably memories like a trip or right. a project, like, a you know, a, a creative project or a speaker or a really cool science lab. If you take a memory, you know, gander, you're not going to remember, oh, wow, I did so well on, on the test for the state. It's right. just not going to be what excites you. And it's really ruined education so much because we have to spend so much time on these, for the preparation to do well on these tests. So then, what I, I know the, that reality. I'm that, sorry, that's go ahead. That's reality. That I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but that, that's a reality that I've been uh, looking into. Uh, because, as you know, I do the polls, and I'm involved in a bunch of different things. And it's been become very clear to me, uh, because of the reality we find ourselves living in, uh, that many people don't know much about our government and how it works. Uh, yeah, and that's basic civics, or, or social studies, as they used to call it. And uh, that has been cut back uh, dramatically. So how can we perpetuate a society and have people participate in it uh, if we don't teach what it means to be a society and uh, how to be a responsible uh, citizen? Uh, So I've uh, spoken to our mayor. I've spoken to some of the other uh, council people. And I'm trying to see what can be done to to teach civics so that, you know, we don't run into the type of social problems that, that we've been running into lately. Sorry about that. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. I mean, and as you can tell, I've been in education a long time, so I could mm-hmm. do an entire, entirely conversation about that alone. Um, but what I, I couldn't agree more. And might I suggest that you also contact the, Board of Education uh, in town, you know, because they are um, the group that might be able to direct your communication to the head of science, uh, I'm sorry, the head of the social studies department in the high school where we really teach the children how they're going to be future voters 
and what they need to do. And I think it'll really benefit all of us if this is really covered. Uh, yeah. And, and I mean, you know, I, I know they do some, but uh, I think they need to start hearing from the people. So might I suggest the Board of Education is the, the group to also contact for you. I will definitely follow up on that. Thank you. Uh, what I was saying was I – so I realized that that's our reality, right? And you even understand that with your uh, exposure to schools and the curriculum, and you've seen what's been cut. So I, I knew that I had, obviously, my own advocacy, my own passion toward the topic uh-huh. about help, helping people become better for non-human animals that they live with. But that doesn't matter, right? So I knew I had really only one language to speak, which is, does this improve test scores, right? So my first research when I got the PhD was finding out qualitatively that teachers felt this was a very motivating and engaging curriculum. And I knew eventually when I had the ability that I needed to do two pieces that are enormously hard for researchers. One mm-hmm. is I had to access children. That's real hard to do. Fortunately, I work in a school district, so I had access, right? So if you're just a researcher and you're not in you don't have, you know, you don't know people and whatever, they barely ever let you, you know, give surveys and stuff to children. So I knew I had to access children and I knew I had to get quantitative test score results Mm -hmm. where I could show that humane education and elements that are about teaching kindness to animals that that would, in fact, improve children's test scores, right? And that's Uh really what matters. Because I knew that if I'm going to advocate for it, that's all they're going to really want to know. Is this something that will improve test scores? So I embarked last year on um, testing 200 sixth graders, and I used um, helpers at PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. They Mm -hmm. have a humane education division, and it's called Teach Kind, Teach Kind. So if you'd like to link to them, because any of your listeners who are not parents, and they're, or, I'm sorry, who are not teachers, but their parents, aunts, uncles, grandparents, and they want to do some nice activities with the children at home, then Teach Kind has wonderful downloads, all free, some great little videos, like they produce something called Share the World with great pauses that are built into the video where you take breaks for discussion. It's really wonderful stuff. So teach kind out of PETA. So what did so what did I do? Is I work with my friends over at Teach Kind, uh, state 
Common Core, which was like a national standards, I took Common Core passages that had been released from different states, you know, after they take a test, a couple of years later, they'll release that test item, you know, yeah. so that you can use it for future study books type of thing. So I took like a passage that was common core standards aligned in Texas and okay. in New York and in New Jersey. And I was, I, I took five passages with their questions. Okay. These are, and I took high interest passages. So one was about bubbles and another one was about Toy Story, the movie. And another one was about um, like the different like inventions that would make you interested. Okay. So okay. I took high in interest passages and I matched what their reading level and word count was along with the amount of pictures they had to humane education passages. Wow. So I, right. So this was a lot of work. Sounds like it. So I, yeah. So I took like PETA had a story about a cow that had escaped. And so the children read that story and then half of the sixth graders read the other story about say the movie okay. and they all in the same words they read it and then the questions were completely parallel like what was the main idea of this you know with multiple choices or um what does this word mean in the context of the sentence like you would have a vocabulary and context question. You would have a main idea question because, again, they were aligned to standards that gets tested, okay, mm -hmm. by our state exams. And then there was like a, an author's purpose question, like what okay. did the author mean by this? And then there was like a fourth question that was some sort of inference. You know, what What do you infer by this part of the nonfiction story, right? Now, they were both matched on nonfiction. They, they were matched in every way that I could match them. The problem with the experiment like this is, remember, it's text dependent. So it's not going to be the same as, okay, well, you got a question about apples in a math question, and he got a question about puppies in a math question. You know, it's... It, you know, but we were testing the same exact thing. Mm -hmm. you know, with a text-dependent question, it always depends on the story, right? So I matched almost every element that I could. The reading level, the word count, the picture placement, the wording of the question, I did everything I could. 200 children, they take it anonymously. All they, all they knew was they were getting some test preps. That's all which was true, uh -huh. which just helped them with test prep. And they, I divided them by boy, girl, uh, uh, like free and reduced lunch, you know, just any element or factor to see 
where they would, you know, it, what element could possibly, what they call a variable in research, what could ever be, like, affecting the score. Uh-huh. And um, what, what I found was after all that was I had success because the humane education passage children scored higher on their uh, exams. I took five, you know, five exams. I cumulatively figured them out for their standardized, I mean, for their standards-based questions, and they mm-hmm. got a higher percentage of those questions correct than wow. their non-humane education counterpart. So that was very exciting for me to see after all that work that this summer when my statistician partner going through the data that I supplied to him, he said, oh, yes, we can see a, a significant, a small but significant uh, you know, increase among humane education uh, participants. So I was very happy to, to see that because I'm writing up the results and I have a very good chance of it getting into a journal because I was expected um, to actually speak on it, on that research uh, at uh-huh. Oxford. And, and oh, wow. they were going to, yeah, that's pretty cool. And they were going to be um, publishing what I spoke about into their journal, the Oxford uh, Center for Animal Ethics. And they produce a journal. So, I, I believe that I'm good to go with this journal uh, article. Uh, and once it gets in there, you know, these things just always have a bit of a lag time. But once it gets in there, then uh, I want to use that as, like, the evidence that's needed to keep advocating for the importance of getting these, getting these uh, tools into the classroom it makes the teacher's job easier because mm-hmm. the teachers are, you know, provided with free activities, no, no planning, easy stuff, and it, it will improve the children's school experience. And now in the study, I found that it actually improves the test scores. So um, that was really exciting work for me, uh, and I'm just very very, very happy that it worked out that way. So, um, yeah, that That's was my awesome. latest thing. And, and I'm supposed to talk about it in Oxford. It was supposed to be this summer. I COVID had different plans, but I'm supposed to speak about it at work next summer. So you're getting a preview. <laughs> That is fantastic. That That is very impressive. And uh, uh, the amount of work you put into it is amazing. And I, I'm glad that it showed uh, positive results and now it could be uh, shared and uh, replicated. So that that is awesome. Thank you. And, and it's true that every you could put in all the work and find out that there was no statistical difference between the two passages. So, you know, you don't know what the result will be until you, no. until you do it. So very grateful, of course. And, um, but yeah, you know, uh, humane education, to my mind, it's an idea that time has come. You mm-hmm. know, we're, we, go, we go in the wrong direction when it comes to, uh, to um, education generally, like you said. They're making it more engaging, letting the children 
become more thoughtful citizens. Uh, as you see with all the resources I supplied you with tonight, you know, there's a lot of good work being done out there. We just need to get it into the hands of decision makers and get it more widespread. Um, I wrote, uh, I have my own group, which was one of the very first things you shared when we talked about this topic, called the Humane Education Committee. You know, the New York, New Jersey one, that was the, the first one you shared uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, and that is just a place where I, some of my magazine writings have been, uh -huh. um, you know, they're linked at the bottom of some of the pages. Um, the, the first, you know, it talks about the group that I'm vice president of, Humane Education Committee. And mm -hmm. um, it, I have, uh, I've written for parent magazines. I've written up things for the Ed Education Weekly, which is a, a pretty well-read uh, magazine for teachers and uh, school leaders just telling people about this curriculum because I figure if I could get you know, any training I do and and any people I reach, if I can get people to just go to all these free opportunities of work that's done for them, even book lists, there's something called the Latham uh -huh. Letter. And Latham, the Latham Foundation, they, they'll even just supply book lists and um, the, these are books where they all have humane messages in them. Uh, you know, people might even remember themselves reading Black Beauty or, or yes, Old yes, Yeller or Shiloh. Old Yeller, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, um, you know, think of the, the impact that the books have had on you as a child. And, you know, there's book lists where they, you know, I mean, the, what a wonderful resource, you know, to have right. education books in one place. Um, so ultimately, I'm a big, uh, I'm a big supporter of the work. And I, I feel like we're on the cusp of something just like I felt with fur and, and performing animals. I think that education you know, we, we're going in a direction worldwide. Uh, mm -hmm. You're not going to have a choice, right? You're not going right. to have a choice whether you treat the, the planet well uh, with the mass extinctions at the global warming or the massive over-abuse and utilization of our fellow species. At one point, the rubber meets the road. Arguably, you could say that that's right now with the extreme weather and uh, look at, you know, COVID. I mean, we're definitely abusing this planet. So at a certain point, people are going to say, boy, education's really got to fill the gap. Clearly and on that note, we have to gap. wrap up today's uh, conversation because uh, you only have a few minutes left. Um, and I'd like you to share, uh, aside from what you shared already, and I put links uh, to that in uh, a couple of places, um, what other places can people go uh, if they want to get involved or if they want to learn uh, more? 
about humane education, about helping animals in uh, the state of New Jersey and beyond New Jersey. So I gave you some very good resources for humane education um, because I think that, um, again, I just want to tell you, even if you're a parent, grandparent, or aunt or uncle, go check it out. If you got any kid in your life, um, also there's upper grade stuff too, you know, and videos. I really, there's just a plethora of things. But, you know, Animal Protection League of New Jersey, as you said at the top of the hour, is Mm -hmm. um, organizing tomorrow's protest. We also are advocating for Governor Murphy to stop the bear hunt that is supposed to start in October in New Jersey. And we really, um, the Bear Group, which is a project from the Animal Protection League of New Jersey, uh, if you find it on Save NJ Bears, which is the Bear Group, we want to make people no, please contact the governor's office. Please send emails and, and make the call. They'll take your message. Uh, he really should stop the bear hunt. Um, so those are some fights we have going. And I think our only hope is to just have people in the future be more compassionate, which is where humane education comes in. One last shout-out is, of course, my anti-fur group, Caring Activists Against Fur. People, please join that group because where the weather gets a little colder, we're going to want to do a lot of our outreach to stay away from fur. Fur is not a fabric. I, I, put, a, put, I put a picture up of you uh, with a T-shirt, uh, and I assumed it was for uh, Caring you know, Activists Against Fur. It was. That was an oldie. I said, oh, my gosh, yeah. Yeah, I, I go back a ways. And that was, I think that was in front of Macy's. So the fact that Macy's is not a place I have to protest this year is quite, quite impressive to me. <laughs> and I'll put time. links to, to both of those, uh, to all three of the places, uh, uh, to the Bears, to the uh, League of Humane Voters, and to your fur group. So I'll do that right now. Uh, and Julie, thank I want to thank so you. Much. You're awesome. Uh, and uh, on behalf of uh, uh, the planet, I want to thank you for all that you do. Uh, and I know that it, it doesn't seem like you're doing a lot, but you are doing a lot. You're doing a phenomenal amount, more so than anybody I know. Uh, so thank you. <laughs> thank you. And uh, next month, you're going to have a great guest with Alexis. She's uh Alexis Kurgin, she she runs Caring Active Against Fur with me. So your listeners are going to have a lot of exciting uh, stories to listen to with our fur outreach. I'm looking forward to it, and thanks to everybody for joining us uh, today. Until next time, this is us wishing you joyous journeys and amazing adventures, and know that you're not powerless. Uh, Your voice can change the future. Thank you very much. Thank you. Take care. You too, Julie. Take care. Bye.